It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study for thursday night june 11th 2009 my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here tonight hello dad welcome to the program jacob great to join you tonight for the virtual bible study good to join you and we're glad that you are on the other end of the program tonight and we hope that you will participate in our discussion, you can call us at 877-381-4567. That's a toll-free number. We pay the bill. won't cost you a dime. Just join in on the discussion over the phone or send an email to questions at collegeview.com. If you're watching our video stream tonight, you can also join in with listeners in our chat room. You can follow the instructions that are scrolling across your or at the bottom of your screen now, and uh, you can go and join in the chat room. Harv in Pennsylvania is there now, and other listeners will be joining the chat room. So go there and join in the discussion tonight. You can you can uh, read the comments in the chat room without doing anything, just clicking on there. If you want to participate in the chat, you got to set up a little free account, which is no problem at all. Uh, a lot of people seem to enjoy doing that. All right. Join in on the chat room and join in on the discussion tonight. An interesting topic tonight. You presented the topic this afternoon, and uh, at first I didn't. It didn't hit me as being all that interesting of a topic. But the more I thought about it, the more interesting it became. We want to talk about um, by, uh, the Bible class arrangement, Jacob. Uh, the there, there are people who think that it's unscriptural for for churches to to operate a a, a situation. I don't know, operate, if that's the right word, but to have a situation maybe is the better way to say it, in which uh, ages, age groups are divided and classes are held for different uh, groups within the congregation, you know, what we typically call a Bible class hour or a Bible class arrangement. Some folks uh, have a problem with that. In fact, we had a question that came in a while back from a listener in Vermont, and uh, I sent him a, a, a response to his question, but I thought it... Others might be interested in his question as well. He said, um, I have a question about something I've been studying with another brother in Christ for several months now. Um, we're uh, looking for someone who, who knows the scriptures, can give some guidance. And so he, he's trusting us on that, Jacob. We'll try to do well. The question specifically is this. Is there Bible authority for the church to teach children or have children's classes? I've given him some scriptures such as Matthew 28, 19, 20, Mark 16, 15, stating that we don't have a limit for who we teach. His response in these scriptures, amongst several more, it's individual Christians being addressed, not the church. Therefore, it's okay for individual Christians to teach all, but not the church. It's not a work of the church. I was wondering if you might have any advice for me about how I might be able to address this question, perhaps using different wording, different scriptures, and so forth. Uh, that's from Jeremy in Vermont. And so that's the question that we really want to address, at least initially in our study tonight. I think, Jacob, maybe sometimes we take certain things for granted. I can always remember, ever since I was a kid, the church, uh, all the churches that I've ever been a member of had a Bible class arrangement. There, There is the potential that we do it because we always did it. We never stopped to think if it's authorized, if it's something that God would allow us to do. So I think it's worth asking the question. All right. We'll ask you 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. Is it scriptural to have Bible classes? Now, there are things about a Bible class that we would have a problem with. We'll talk about those as we get into the program tonight. But in general, we're asking the question in general, is it permissible for a church to conduct Bible classes? To our update list earlier today, we sent out... uh, by the way, we're getting a viewer who sends in says, sounds good in Toronto, Jacob. So they're listening we're going in Canada. across the border tonight. tonight. Yeah, well, All right. Uh, the virtual Bible study has a passport International. 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 
uh, a question, the questions we send out to our update list, and I, I try to mention this every week because this is something we do every week, and we'd like you to be participating in it if you can. If you are on our update list earlier today, we sent out news of what we would be discussing, and we sent out our study questions for feedback. Uh, you can get on that list very easily. Send us an email. Simply say, add me to the list in your subject line and send that to questions at collegeview.com. We will do it. Um, but we asked the question, number one, are Bible classes scriptural? Yes or no? Why or why not? So give us an answer to that. That's the, that's the first thing we really want to discuss. Then, assuming that we say, yes, they are authorized, we're going to go a little further in our study. If we, if we can establish that as an authorized thing, and I think we can, then we're going to ask the question, what encouragements or what arguments would you use to convince someone who's not regularly attending the Bible classes? What would you say to them to try and get them to come uh, to that period of Bible study? Uh, number three, what are the things needed to make the Bible classes the best they can be? If we're going to have them. They ought to be good. Certainly. And so what would be the things that would make them the best they can be? And then finally, number four, specifically concerning the teachers, what kind of characteristics are we looking for in Bible class teachers? Those are our study questions, Jacob. As we said, we sent them out earlier today to our update list. Um, we also put those out on Twitter. We, we got a Twitter feed, and, and so on the, on the study day, on Thursdays, we send out an update to our Twitter list, and you can follow us on Twitter. If you set up a Twitter account and then follow us, we'll be sending our updates that way as well. All right, and we'd like you to join in on the discussion tonight. You send us an email, give us a call about the questions that we've posed or any question relating to Bible classes and we always have an open door here for any Bible question or comment that you might have. So you can join in with any question you might have tonight. And the, we're taking a listener's question for our discussion tonight, Dad. We, last week we reminded our listeners, and we'll remind you again tonight, that you can join in on the discussion by suggesting a topic for consideration on the virtual Bible study tonight or any uh, program so uh, send us your questions or your comments and suggestions for future discussion on the virtual bible study jacob i was mentioning to you before we started uh we we passed a milestone a couple weeks ago and didn't note it uh a couple weeks ago was our 200th edition of the virtual bible study tonight actually if i counted right is 203 so we've been at this almost four years i'm going to do some difficult math 203 programs and they're all an hour long so that would be 203 hours worth of discussion about Bible topics. That's quite a, a library of Bible study that is at your fingertips on our website. Well, that's right. And as we were saying last week, that actually serves as, as a pretty good resource. If you're studying some subject and, and you want a little additional information, uh, you can go to the archive page and look through there. We don't have a search engine on our page, but we've been advising you, you can do that control F thing. And most of you are familiar with that. Hit control F, a little window pops up, put in a keyword and it'll show you every place that keyword is on the page. If you're studying baptism, uh, do a control F when the little window opens, type in baptism and, and, uh, enter and it will, it'll go, it'll, it'll go to consecutively each place in the page where the word baptism is found. You might find a topic there. That will be helpful to you in your study. All right. Uh, check us out at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. Join in on the chat room tonight. We have a question or a comment in the chat room. The Orange Rose is in the chat room tonight, and Orange Rose says, we study the Bible at home. Why not with other brothers and sisters? The only group of people who actually question this besides you guys would be the Amish. I really hope you two have not gone Amish. Well, we haven't got Amish, and we're not the ones who are having questioning this. We're making sure that the Bible authorizes it. Yeah. We believe it does, but yeah. we've been questioned about our authority for doing such, yeah. and we're going to well, give an yeah, answer. Let's, we'll tell you right up front where, where we come down on this question. We come down on the side of saying that they are scriptural and they are authorized. So, no, we're not we're not uh, taking a, a view. Sometimes I've heard it referred to, Jacob, as the no Bible class position. We're not taking that position. There are people who do. Uh, but as in all things, it's worth making sure you ask the question, get the answer. It's not, it's not a bad thing. 
In other words, as I was saying earlier, we shouldn't just assume it's okay since we've always done it that way. We should ask the question. And a lot of people would say when they're asked a question, how do you defend this practice, they would say, well, you're just being too picky. Well, we've got to be picky. Everything that we do, we have to do by authority in the name of Jesus Christ, Colossians 3, verse 17. And so we appreciate this question because we want to make sure. We have Bible classes. We want to make sure that we're doing what God would have us to do. I think that's right. Send us an email. How, how would, uh, here's the challenge, Jacob. In, uh, if, if you are a member of a church and they have Bible classes, how are you going to answer someone who says, why? What is the authority? Now, you, can't just, you just can't dismiss that question. If someone you know, says, how, why are you doing that? Where's your authority for doing that? We better be ready to give an answer, 1 Peter 3.15. And so if you've, never, if you've never thought about it, then you need to think about it. If you have thought about it and you have an answer, send us an email or give us a phone call. Let's talk about some answers that aren't valid. Okay. It's not valid to say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Or it's crazy to say that we couldn't. Or... That's a stupid question. Those are not valid defenses. That doesn't, that doesn't answer the challenge. But yet those are the defenses people give when they're questioned. Well, I just don't see anything wrong with it. It's, it's crazy for you to even question that. These are not valid defenses. We've got to have scriptural authority for all that we do. If, if that's how we're going to answer them, we're not different than a lot of other people in the religious world who do a lot of stuff that's not authorized and say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. Or, you're, 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 you're being too question. picky. You're yeah. being, so right. we've got to have an answer. So let's start that out. Um, when I was answering Jeremy on this question, uh, I think uh, that first of all we've got to we've got to um, establish scriptural authority, and I think we can by a, a little bit of a process. There's there's obviously no place in the Jake, uh, in the Bible, Jacob, where we can go and say there it is. There's an example of a, 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 of exactly what we're doing, or there's a command that shows that we're supposed to do this directly thou shalt have bible classes there's no such command as that but but let's use this process and i think it is a legitimate reasonable process first of all we know the church has been assigned the task of teaching the truth first um, peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth ephesians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 say it says that the church it was by the church that god eternally planned to demonstrate his manifold wisdom and so we know that the church was a part of God's plan for getting the message out. You referenced 1 Peter chapter 3. I think you meant to say 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the pillar and the ground of the truth. That's what I, that's what I meant to say. Exactly and, right. And it, so the church has been given the task of evangelizing the world. Exactly right. Now, if it's been given that job, then it it goes it stands to reason, and it's, 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 it's an obvious thing, that the church is authorized to do whatever work God has told it to be doing or assigned it to do. So if, if the church is supposed to teach, therefore it's authorized to teach, and you can't teach unless you have several things. you got to have a teacher. you got to have students. you got to have subject matter. you got to have a time and a place and some arrangement for the study to take place. Anytime you have a teaching arrangement, I mean, you could be teaching math or science or, or knitting, if you're going to teach something, you've got to have a teacher and students, the subject to be discussed, a time and a place, and an arrangement for getting it done. Those are necessary things. If teaching is to be done, those things must be provided. Now, when it comes to teaching the Bible, some of those things are specified. For instance, we're supposed to teach uh, uh, faithful men, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, are to teach. And they are to teach the gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel, Mark 16, verse 15, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. And so uh, we know that the subject matter has been identified and those to do the teaching have been identified, supposed to be faithful men teaching the gospel to everybody. But some of the elements of a teaching arrangement have not been spelled out in the scripture. For instance, that the time has not been identified. We know that in Acts 20, verse 7, for instance, Christians came together on the first day of the week, and Paul taught them. So their Sunday is mentioned, but if you look in Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, we find out that they were actually meeting daily. In Acts 5, 42, daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So it wasn't not one particular time is identified. We can teach any time. 
Furthermore, notice that sometimes they were teaching in public, sometimes from house to house. And so the teaching arrangement is not identified either. Um, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, uh, the apostle Paul said, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And so, again, while some things, when it, come, when it comes to the work of the church in teaching, what to teach and who to teach and who should be doing the teaching, those things, we have specific information about those. But the time, place, and arrangement are not specified, and we see some variety there. So since there's a variety of examples of time, place, and arrangement, no one specific arrangement can be claimed exclusive. We have to do it that way and that way only. All right. We'll continue the discussion after the break, and we'll hope to talk to you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Join in the discussion in the chat room tonight, and we'll look forward to hearing from you right on the other side of this important break. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Tonight on Channel 8 WSIN, it's TV like you've never seen it before. Starting at 8, it's TV's funniest new comedy, Fornication in the City, and Marie has been misbehaving again. Guess what? I just cheated on my husband. He doesn't even know about it. (laughs) And then at 8.30, it's the show that's setting the standard. You won't want to miss this week's I Love This World, where Bob makes a great announcement. Well, I think it's time you knew the truth. I'm gay. (laughs) And at 9 o'clock, it's the show that Television Magazine has called the number one drama for murder and violence. You won't want to miss this week's In Cold Blood to see who will be the next to be gunned down. It all starts tonight at 8 o'clock on Channel 8 WSIN. I'm Greg Gwynn reminding you that sin is a terrible thing and that those who are entertained by watching others sin fall under the condemnation of God that is mentioned in Romans 128. Be careful what you watch on television because in spite of what the devil wants you to think, sin is always sin and it's never funny. Hi, this is Tom Goodall from College View Church of Christ. Why don't you listen to our virtual Bible study each Thursday evening at 8 p.m.? It's a great opportunity to do something good each week. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight as we talk about Bible classes. And this is a Bible class over the Internet, and we're just joining around our computers tonight with our Bibles open, hopefully, to discuss God's Word. And we hope that you will discuss it with us over the phones or over email tonight. Jacob, we were working through a line of reasoning as to how we would justify or claim scriptural authority for Bible classes. And what we're saying is the church is authorized to teach, in fact, commanded to teach. Since it's commanded to teach, it's authorized to do what is necessary to teach. Teaching requires teacher, student, subject matter, time, place, arrangement. Some of that's been specified in the New Testament. Uh, Faithful men are to teach, and they're to teach the gospel. But time, place, and arrangement has not been specified. In fact, we have some different examples. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul spoke to the whole church in Troas in in a sermon, what we would call a sermon format. I actually think the technical name for that is didactic discourse. Oh, boy. You've been doing any didactic discoursing lately? I'm sort of feeling dizzy over here when you start talking like that. (laughs) But uh, we know that uh, they taught by way of what we would call a sermon. We know in Acts 19, verse 9, that uh, that debates were conducted. Notice in Acts 19, 9, it says, When divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil the way before the multitude, Paul departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. There's a debate sort of arrangement. Uh, one-on-one situations happened. Acts 8, uh, Philip taught the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 18, verses 24 and 26, Ananias and Sapphira taught Apollos. That's a one-on-one or a small group. Two-on-one, small group. But here's an interesting one. Uh, in, In what I think could be argued is very similar to a Bible class arrangement, the Apostle Paul met with a group from from the church in Ephesus a group smaller than the whole group. It was a group. It was a group study. It was a group discussion. 
but it was a group smaller than the whole of the church in Ephesus. You remember that in Acts 20, verse 17 and 18, it was the elders. Paul met with the elders of the church at Ephesus. And so that's a group smaller than the whole church. And what we find then is that that can happen. It can be done that way. And I, I think when you put all of that together, you basically have, have provided scriptural justification for a, a Bible class arrangement. It's authorized by command and example, no particular arrangement specified that would forbid other arrangements, and no scriptural principles are violated when such teaching is done in that in that manner or in that arrangement. So I, I would argue that uh, we do have Bible authority. And so I wouldn't want someone to reach the conclusion, well, they do it that way. They've always done it that way. But they really can't prove from the Bible that it's an authorized thing. I think we can. I think, but you have to understand, especially you have to understand the idea of general authority. When command is given and nothing in particular has been specified relative to the carrying out of that command, then we, then we can use lawful, expedient means to get the job done. And that's really what the Bible class is. It's an expedient but lawful means of doing the job of teaching the gospel. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. You may disagree with our conclusions thus far. We would like to hear from you, or maybe you agree with us, but you have discussed this topic with others in the past. We'd love to hear some of the objections and some of the the arguments that they make in denying the authority for a Bible class. You can let us know those objections that you've heard over the phone or over email tonight. If you'd like to remain anonymous, you can do that. We'd like to hear from you if you've had discussions with those who would challenge this uh, arrangement because certainly helping us to understand the arguments would help us to better understand the position and also would help us to verify that our position is correct or maybe call our position into question. So um, let us know over the phone or yeah, email tonight. Because we do have brethren. In fact, sometimes they're identified as no-class brethren who say that it's not a scriptural way. And if, if you've met with, if you are of that persuasion or if you have studied with some who are of that persuasion, we'd be glad to hear your insights on, on this subject. I'll tell you a couple of the objections I've heard, Jacob. One is that when we have a Bible class arrangement, we are actually imitating the denominational Sunday school organization and that we're wrong for the same reason the denominational Sunday school arrangement's wrong. And I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with the denominational Sunday school arrangement, but actually in, in, in a number, especially the, the big old mainline denominations, they have what constitutes a separate organization that funds, finances, oversees, and operates the Sunday school. They Sunday actually, school board, I think is what yeah, it's called. Yeah, they have their own board, their own officers. They're, they're, the, the, it's overseen by that Sunday school board. They have their own bylaws and regulations. They collect their own contributions and maintain their own treasury and they determine the curriculum yeah and they because they preside they provide the material that's going to be discussed so they are determining what's going to be taught in in the yeah. bible classes and we agree with all others that that's wrong we've always taught that there's no organization larger or smaller than the local congregation for doing the work that god assigned to the church and that everything god assigned to the church can be done by the arrangement that he gave us in the inspired word and so we oppose the sunday the denominational sunday school organization for all the same reasons and that's not and and if somebody tried to start that in this church for instance we would stand up and shout and say no way you can't do that if they start taking up a collection maintaining a separate treasury appointed officers to oversee and make decisions about the sunday school operation and then tell this congregation how it's going to arrange be arranged we say no way we're not going to, we're not going to allow that's not scriptural that would not be scriptural we have no reference to any such organization in the new testament exactly An, another objection that i have heard from time to time is that while it may be granted that groups smaller than the whole church met on some occasions those smaller groups did not meet simultaneously in other words uh i was suggesting paul met with the elders of the church at Ephesus, a group, a part of the church at Ephesus, smaller than the whole of the church at Ephesus, and Paul met with him. And the argument said, "Well, that may be so, but but others were not meeting at the same time. It wasn't; they weren't doing that simultaneously." And and I, my question is: Does 
would simultaneously uh, some is there something in the Bible that says that you couldn't do what Paul did with the elders if someone else was doing the same thing with some other group of members of that church at Ephesus? You know, let, let's say that Timothy was with Titus. I mean, uh, Timothy or Titus was with Paul rather. And while Paul was talking to the elders, would would there have been a uh, 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 something forbidding one of Paul's traveling companions with meeting with some of the other Christians and teaching them? If that's so, I'd like to know where or why, that, how you would establish that that'd be wrong. Uh, if if the elders, if a, if a group, a smaller group, in this case it was the elders, are authorized to meet with Paul and, and discuss spiritual things, would not another group within that church, maybe the teenagers or, or the uh, uh, young marrieds or uh, uh, the elementary school-aged kids, are they not, uh, would they not have the same authority to meet even if it was simultaneously? I don't, I don't think that the simultaneous argument holds any water. I don't, uh, I, mean, I don't know where you'd go to the Bible to establish that complaint. Certainly. I, just, I just don't see it. If you're going to establish a prohibition, you'd have to be able to show that either they always were non-simultaneous, I don't know what the correct term <laughs> for that would be, or that the Bible commands us to do them in a non-simultaneous fashion. We simply don't have any authority for that. That's right. And then one more objection I've heard. By the way, we're, if, if you object or if you know of somebody who objects to this arrangement, and we'd be glad to hear from you, but these are some of the objections that I've heard through the years. I've heard people say it's wrong for a group or groups to retire from a previously assembled meeting of the whole church. And if you do that, now pay especially because this is the terminology that they use on this argument. It's wrong for a group to retire from a previously assembled meeting of the whole church. And if you do that, it amounts to dividing the assembly, and that's a sin. And that's that's sort of a catchphrase that you often hear from folks who who have a problem with the Bible class arrangement. They'll say, well, you're dividing the assembly, and you can't divide the assembly. Well, if that's so, again, I would say, you're going to have to present some Bible passage to establish that fact. It sounds to me like someone there's establishing an arbitrary rule. Where does it say that you can't do that? Where does it call it a dividing of the assembly to do such a thing? And actually, I believe that we have evidence of something similar to that happening of of an assembly coming together and then breaking into smaller group in Acts chapter 15, beginning verse 4. In Acts 15, verse 4, when Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem and they were discussing the problem of, of circumcision among the Gentile converts, and they went up there to meet with the apostles and elders of the church and and the Christians of the church in Jerusalem, it says in Acts 15, verse 4, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church. And of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with him. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. It seemed like the whole church had come together. And then the apostles and elders took Paul and Barnabas and the others aside and, and, and began to discuss this thing among themselves. It seemed like there was an assembly, a called together assembly, and they spoke and they pulled a group out from it. It's possible, at least. It seems that that's the way that that is constructed there. So, again, this argument that you're dividing the assembly, I just don't think holds any water. Well, and I've also heard another argument that if women are teaching the Bible classes, that you have what constitutes women speaking and teaching in the assembly, which is expressly forbidden. We would make the argument that this is not the assembly when we're having classes. Exactly. This is something separate from the assembly. And so when we are in separate groups, we're not dividing the assembly because it's not the assembly. I think that's right. Okay. I got, I got an email coming in from Keith in Lynchburg, Tennessee, who says, I have studied with no class groups over the Internet, and they say that before 1900, no Church of Christ had segregated Bible classes. Before 1900, no Church of Christ had probably, well, air conditioning, but probably not many Churches of Christ had electric lights. Yeah. Does this mean that it's wrong? 
Yeah, I I, I think, uh, uh, Keith, I'm sure you probably told him the same thing. That may be so. That doesn't prove it. doesn't prove it's wrong. As you said, Jay, we do a lot of things that constitute new expedience, and but they got to be lawful. That's the question. Is it lawful? It's not a question, was it done that way before? People didn't come to the assemblies in, in uh, gas-powered automobiles before 1900 either. We do now. It's not a question of whether it's new. It may be new. I, I think it, they're probably right. It probably is a rather new arrangement. But what we were saying before is no specific arrangement is identified in the New Testament, and therefore we're not doing something wrong. It may be different but not wrong. It's a an authorized expedient. Before 2000 and what, three, four maybe, maybe 2000, no church had an Internet Bible class either. Does that mean it's wrong? Right. We can't. Well, we can't look back. At, they, back in first century, they didn't have an internet Bible class, so we can't have one. No, we have to use the principles that were taught in the Bible and make application to our times today. Well, I know we're up to a break, Jacob. Real quickly, let me catch an email from Gail, who says she believes they are scriptural. First Corinthians fourteen twenty six through forty shows a Bible class type of arrangement. We see an example there of teaching the flock when the flock came together, just as the flock comes together in First Corinthians eleven eighteen for communion. During this time of teaching, brethren shared the word and taught one another just like we do today in a class, in, in a class, in an assembly, except for the first century, the word was given to them orally. But it's the same word being taught today, and it still needs to be done unto the edifying and done decently and in order. And she cites 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty six through 40. So thank you, Gail, for that, for that response. And we need to emphasize one thing before we go to this week's bullet point. We're not saying that the truths of the gospel change. And that there, there, there were truths that were relevant and, and applicable in the first century, and they're no longer relevant today. People make those arguments. We're not making that argument. But what we're saying is the principles of God's word, we can make application to them in different ways with things that are available to us today that weren't available to us in the first century. And the question is not, is uh, you know, is this a new arrangement? It may, in fact, be a new arrangement. I think probably likely it is. I, I, I don't think that probably before 1900, Churches of Christ typically did what we do today by the Bible class arrangement. But what we're saying is this is an authorized expedient to accomplish the command to teach. Now, I would further say that if a congregation decided they didn't want to do that, you don't have to do it that way. I mean, we're not we're not binding the Bible class arrangement. If you decided that it wasn't something you thought was a good judgment for the congregation where you were, if the elders decided they didn't like that arrangement, then they wouldn't have to follow that arrangement. We're just saying it is a legitimate arrangement. Not a, not church. Not all churches must do it today. Not all churches have done it historically. But there's authority in the Word of God for doing it that way. Before 1900, churches of Christ did not send evangelists overseas on airplanes. They sent them in sailboats. I don't think any churches are sending people across the ocean on sailboats today. But those things have changed, but we have authority for people to travel in airplanes uh, from the scriptures. We look forward to hearing from you on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Do you understand quantum physics? Do you even know what it is? Most of us, of course, don't. Now imagine that you have the task of explaining it to someone else. That would be impossible, right? How can you hope to explain what you do not understand yourself? We hope this illustrates a point we want to make about the Bible. The majority of people in the world mistakenly view the Bible as a confusing and difficult book. Sadly, too many Christians are unable to help resolve this problem because they simply cannot explain what they have never understood themselves. They don't know God's truth well enough to be able to explain it to others. The Bible can be understood according to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2-5. through 5. In fact, we're commanded to understand it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. If we imagine that the Bible is too hard to understand, we are actually casting a charge against God. We are maintaining that he was unable to produce a revelation that the average man or woman can grasp. Not true. The real problem here is a lack of dedication and a failure to work diligently. Often we find folks, even Christians, who can talk knowledgeably about a wide variety of subjects. They recite technical and intricate details about a host of topics. Yet these same people claim that the Bible cannot be comprehended. 
Nonsense. With even a fraction of the same effort they have put into understanding computers, cars, sporting events, and political matters, they could have become expert in their knowledge of God's Word. If they invested one-tenth of the time they waste watching television, they would understand even the most complicated themes of the Bible. It's true that you can't explain what you don't know. However, let us never use this excuse concerning the Bible. If you don't know, it's your fault. Get busy and study. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And the virtual Bible study is on your computer tonight, and we thank you for making that possible. We look forward to your participation in the discussion tonight, and we look forward to any topic suggestion. We've gotten one topic suggestion during the program tonight. If you have a question or a subject that you think would be beneficial to have discussed on the virtual Bible study live over the Internet, nationwide and internationally, as we are international tonight, we look forward to you suggesting that topic. It would be beneficial for us all to study things together so that we can come to a better understanding of God's Word. We're talking about Bible classes tonight and the authority for them. We've established, I think, Dad, that the Bible does give authority for Bible classes. If you disagree with that or if you have anything else to add to that, please let us know. But we want to talk now about how to have Bible classes that are beneficial. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the second question we asked, Jacob, was uh, assuming that you, you agree that Bible classes are scriptural, what arguments would you use to convince someone to participate in them, to get involved, to attend the classes? Um, and, uh, you know, that that is, I think, a problem in most churches. Most churches that I know of or have ever been associated with, unfortunately, like on Sunday morning, you'll have so many for for Bible class hour. And then when we meet for the worship hour, Usually the attendance, uh, you know, will it will be never up. be more. You'll never have more for Bible class than you will for uh, for the assembly. Yeah, there's always more people who come in who do, who decide not to attend the Bible class but come for worship. And in so, some places, uh, those percentages are are alarming. Yeah, uh, maybe as many as fifty percent decide that the Bible class is not. I, and and I've known people. I've known some churches that have gone to all kinds of of uh, effort to try and change it. I, I've known several churches that decided to have their worship first. And then so that the people would come and then with the hope that they would stay for the Bible. Class. And amazingly to me, people will come for the worship and then leave and not stay for the Bible class. When, when I've known of congregations who did it that way, some people are just determined not to participate in Bible classes. And our question is, how would you get them uh, motivated to participate in that? Well, we got one email here from Gail who says the same wording for coming together for teaching the flock is the same wording used for coming together for the Lord's Supper. Every Christian should be coming together for the class just like they would come together for the Lord's Supper. If someone thinks they can miss Bible class, the kind of teaching described in 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty six, then they need to be consistent and use the same reasoning for why they can miss the communion. If they can't find authority to miss, then they are doing it without faith. Romans ten seventeen are not pleasing to God. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Um, I, I think that Gail has hit upon a thing that I, I would want to stress is the attitude. It seems to me there's an attitude problem there, Jacob, uh, of someone who's determined not to participate in that. What are you doing that's more important than that? And maybe even more to the point, what are you doing by way of Bible study? If you're not taking advantage of that opportunity, what are you doing? For Bible study, certainly. I mean, it, it, you have an opportunity to discuss the Bible with others and to get uh, their input into scriptural things. So, why in the world would you decide that this is not something that's worthy of your time? Yeah. Uh, it, there's a great irony there. We know that as Christians, we're commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Second Peter three verse eighteen says, "We know we're supposed to be ready to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason of the hope that is in us." First Peter three and verse fifteen. And the Bible classes prepare us to be able to do that. The Bible classes prepare us to be able to teach other people. And we know that that's a, an obligation that we have as Christians to be able to, to grow to the point where we, we are able to teach others. 
Um, Hebrews 5 verse 12 would be a verse along that line. And so if you don't come, then you're missing an opportunity to develop and grow as a Christian. I would use those kinds of arguments for sure. I think if, if, if and when I have a chance to talk to those who won't come or don't come or not involved, I'd say you're missing an opportunity to accomplish a lot of the things you need to be accomplishing as a Christian. Absolutely so. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now that is a passage, Dad, that is in context of uh, Christians who are facing persecution. And the antidote to that persecution and a way for them to stay strong was to sanctify the Lord God in their hearts, put God in the right place, and be ready to give an answer. In other words, remind themselves of the things that they already know so they can be prepared to teach them to others. That will help them as they're trying to remain faithful in difficult times. And we are going to face difficult times as Christians, and so we need to be prepared and be sanctifying the Lord God in our heart and reminding ourselves of things that we already know. And the Bible classes are an excellent opportunity to do that. I think so, too. So for my own personal benefit, I guess my first argument would be my own personal benefit. I, I need to be there. But the other thing, Jacob, is that by, by by joining in and participating, I have a chance to teach and encourage my brethren as well. And that's an obligation that I have as a Christian, that I need to be teaching and encouraging the, my fellow Christians in the local congregation. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works. Participating in those Bible classes is, 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 gives me a good opportunity to do that, too. And I can't be overlooking that responsibility. I've got to be thinking about my brethren and my chance to interact with them in a positive way that helps them uh, to be more what God wants them to be. Okay, Bible. so you're saying that, the, number one, the Bible classes help me grow and help me learn. But even if they're the worst Bible class that anyone could imagine— and I'm going to learn. I've been in some of those, by the well, way. Well, okay. I'm going to learn absolutely nothing from them. You're saying that I should still take the opportunity to be an encouragement to those who would be present. And yes, yes, I am. And I may be able to help make that better. If it is just that bad, as you described, why should I just say, well, it's so bad. I'm just, I'm not going to be involved. I'm writing that off. That's, that's, I'm, no, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't my reaction to that be, that's a really bad Bible class. I need to get in there and see if I can help make it better. Maybe well, if I can just give them one comment to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, exactly right. So, okay. for and again, I think it does ultimately boil down to a question of attitude. Why wouldn't I want to be there? What am I doing that's more important than that? And if I'm not taking advantage of that opportunity, what am I doing? to grow as a Christian, to study, to learn, to be better uh, uh, in my knowledge of the Scripture. I'm, what, remember what we said earlier. We, we, did, we said Bible classes are not a mandated thing. We don't have to have Bible classes. They are authorized, as we argued from our earlier discussion tonight. They are authorized. And if they are, if, if the church I'm a member of provides them, uh, as we do here at College View, for instance, we do it under the oversight of the elders, the elders have a responsibility to feed the flock of God. First Peter chapter five verses one through three, uh, Acts chapter twenty verse twenty-eight, and they have decided that this is one of the means that they can accomplish that feeding process that we that we're taught and nourished in the things of God. Why wouldn't I want to be a part of it? Why wouldn't I submit to the judgment of the elders uh, to join in at that activity? For my own good. I just don't understand the mindset of a person who chooses voluntarily not to participate. Something's lacking there. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. We're going to continue the discussion after the break and go to the top of the hour, but we want to hear from you. Give us your thoughts. We've got a couple of questions Send left, your Jacob. Questions. Uh, two more questions we want to discuss in our last segment. What what can help make Bible classes better? You were just talking about the fact there are some bad ones out there. What yeah. what helps make Bible classes better? And especially about the teachers. What kind of characteristics do the teachers need? All right. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. 
Hello everyone, I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. And we do appreciate you for being a part of the program. This program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ. And we cannot forget... Dad, before we conclude tonight, we've got to remind the listeners about a special series of lessons. That's right. We should have done that at, at the, the top of the well, hour, well, and we didn't. We'll, we'll, we'll hit it up in, in less than 15 minutes. Now, don't forget. We're go- yeah, we want We're to We're testing talk- your short-term memory. Don't forget. You don't forget. want me to do it now. You want me to do it at the end of the program. Do it at the end. Of the, you, okay. Just wait, because there's a special announcement coming. Don't go anywhere, because we've got an announcement coming in a few minutes. Okay. It's a little quiet in the chat room tonight. Uh, we've got a couple in there discussing a little off-topic subject about women teachers We've talked about that before, and that is a very important subject. And, and Check out thevirtualbiblestudy.com for discussion of that important subject. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a former uh, previous uh, program on women teachers, but a couple are in the chat room discussing that topic right now. Uh, that chat room is a lot of fun, and if you all are listening and have not gotten involved, follow the instructions there on the video screen on our website. As you're watching, you'll see the, the info scrolling across there. You can go to that chat room. You can just watch for a while uh, if you want to. And if you want to participate, you gotta you got to sign up for a little free account, and you don't have to even give them any personal information to do it. So get in there in the chat room and go for it. All right. How do we have great Bible classes? Now, one of the things that we need to do to have great Bible classes, and in, in Gail's response, she said, make sure the things taught are as close to Scripture as possible, otherwise they won't be edifying. And the whole counsel of God is... Uh, and that the whole counsel of God is taught, not just one part of the Bible. I think that's true. I mean, I, obviously, if we're going to have these Bible classes, they got to be teaching the truth. It, we, uh, I mean, we'd be better, way better off not to have them uh, if if error is going to be taught. Uh, we, right. We we give an account to God for that if we're yeah. establishing a, a, a forum for error to be taught. Yeah. So. Um, uh, definitely agree on that. She says, make sure it gets to the deep things. The meat isn't only at a milk level. level. Christians can't stay edified on milk, but those new in Christ still need some milk. That's one of the. I actually think that's one of the reasons why we have a Bible class arrangement, so that we can teach different groups at an appropriate level. What second and third graders need or are able to digest, for instance, is different than what adults can digest, and so. That, I think that is a strong argument in favor of this kind of an arrangement. We're saying the arrangement's not specified in the New Testament, therefore we can use various kinds of arrangements to do the teaching. And that's one of the advantages, I think, of this form of teaching is that it, it, it allows people to study at age-appropriate and maturity-appropriate levels. Okay. All right. And then she says, if the class is edifying and done in an expedient way, most of the Christians will be growing and becoming even more faithful if over time it's noticed that a percentage of the class is either falling away or not growing in faith, examine the teaching to see if it is scriptural and examine the method of teaching. Some methods of teaching are not expedient, even though they may be scriptural. I agree with that. I agree with that, too. Thank you, Gail. All right. So what would what, what kind of suggestions would you have to make the Bible classes be just as good as they can possibly be? One, uh, one problem that we have with Bible classes is that people don't realize... Come unplugged. 
that's why I got loud all of a sudden. <laughs> Most people don't realize the importance of the Bible classes. They don't appreciate them, and their attitude reflects that, and there is little enthusiasm in the Bible classes because they're not appreciated, and the value of them is is underestimated. I think that's exactly right. Anything that you don't view as important, you're not going to you're not going to put any emphasis on it. It's not going nothing good is going to happen if you don't appreciate them. So I think that Bible classes should be appreciated by all in the local church and and considered a thing of value. Uh, they are, as we've been saying, a great opportunity. And if you don't take advantage of the opportunity, you're missing out on something. Um, even when back in the first century, Paul wrote to Timothy, First Timothy chapter four, verse thirteen. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. The reading there was probably not his personal reading of the inspired word. Back in those days when people didn't have printed Bibles and there were very few handwritten copies of the inspired text, there was a lot of emphasis on public reading, and which I would say was close to what we do in a Bible class type of arrangement. And Paul said, give attention to those kind of things. Uh, we should appreciate the opportunity. All right. What about the elders? Do they have any part in maintaining Bible classes that are of good quality? I, I definitely think so. Now, not every congregation uh, has elders. We know that, that some congregations have not reached a level where they're, that where it's possible for them to have elders. But in those that, that have elders and are fully organized in the, in the form that the New Testament teaches, the elders are to be overseeing the feeding of the flock. They're supposed to take they're supposed to take care of the church, 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, and they're supposed to feed the flock, Acts 20, 28, 1 Peter 5, verse 2. And and certainly the Bible classes give them a great opportunity to be able to do that, and so they definitely need to be involved. If the classes are going to be good, the the leadership of the church has got to be have an active part in it for sure. All right, and you've talked about the attitude of people in general towards the classes, the elders' responsibility. But you've overlooked the teachers, and certainly they have an obligation to make the Bible classes be what they should be. Yeah, you know, and I think we really got to have conscientious, dedicated, hardworking teachers. And that's and we might we might hold that just for a minute, Jay, because I, I want to talk about some of the characteristics that are needed in a good Bible class teacher. Let's take that last, but before we do that, let's talk about parents. Got to get the parents uh, to be really making this a priority. One of the perennial problems that I hear Bible class teachers reporting is kids come to the classes unprepared. They don't have their they don't they don't even bring their lessons back to you know they're supposed to be studying, preparing. They come unprepared and many times don't even bring their 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 work to class with them. That's a parental problem in addition to a student problem. That's a parental problem. And you know if our classes are going to be good. The parents, especially of the younger kids, all the way up through high school and college age, because uh, I've seen a lot of high school and college age kids in their Bible classes who, who act like bumps on a log and just act like they could care less. And and parents need to get involved in motivating those students. And if our classes are going to be good, we need the parents to be really active in motivating them to do to to get their students involved. I would hate to stand before God on the day of judgment as a parent and tell them that my children could not prepare for Bible classes, but they did have the ability to prepare for geometry or spelling, but they just didn't have the time or the ability to get ready for Bible class. That would be a very frightful thing to do, stand before God Man, and give that. Wouldn't that, that would be scary, and I think people need to think about it at that level. And then, of course, we've got to have the kids. The kids have got to be motivated. The kids have got to be committed, involved, active, prepared. The classes are not going to be good unless the students are really excited and motivated in in this activity in this learning opportunity we got to have that let's back up jacob let's talk for a minute about the teachers because i do think a lot of the success of of a bible class arrangement falls on the teachers uh to be doing their job well someone in the chat room says do you think that bible class teachers will be held accountable for how they prepared or what they presented I, I would say absolutely yes. And that ver- I g- I'll give you a verse on that, Jacob. In James chapter 3 and verse 1, James says, My brethren, be not many masters. The King James says, newer versions will say teachers. Mm-hmm. My brethren, be not many teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Uh, or I think newer versions say that we will we will experience a stricter judgment. 
If you accept the responsibility, then you have also accepted additional accountability. And if you said, sure, I'll teach that Bible class, then you suddenly said, okay, now I've opened myself up to be responsible for, for what I agreed to do. And, and so there is an accountability. What are you teaching? Are you teaching false doctrine? Are you teaching something that's not found in the Scriptures? You'll give authority or give an answer for that on the Day of Judgment. James chapter 3, verse 1 tells you that you will. Exactly right. Dave, I, I, a while back I made a list of, th- of, of what I identified as traits needed in all Bible class teachers. I'm just going to read this off uh, uh, and see what you think about it. First of all, they've got to be a good Christian. If they're not living a faithful Christian life, we don't need them to be trying to teach others. That's, that's an obvious first. They've got to, they got to be sound in doctrine. They've got to know the truth themselves and be a good student of the word. Those things are necessary. You can't teach what you don't know. And so if you don't know it and if you haven't learned it, don't be trying to teach somebody else. If you can't teach what you don't know, and you do very little good teaching what you're not doing yourself. Exactly right. And so you've got to know it, and you've got to be doing it. I think that's the points that you're making there. Yeah. Then you've got to prepare got to prepare, got to spend the time, you got to be dependable. I mean, it is very frustrating, and it happens in most churches, that at the last minute, uh, somebody who's supposed to be teaching Bible class calls and says, oh, I'm not going to be there. Can you get somebody to fill in for me? Man, that is that is very discouraging. Be dependable. Pray about it. Love the souls of the, of the students that you're teaching. Be cooperative with the elders and others who are involved in the process. Keep growing yourself. Be consistently present and on time, ready uh, and prepared and eager. So there's several things there that are needed, and uh, we, we hope that Bible class teachers will, will seriously consider the important work that they are assigned to do. Uh, in, in Gail's email, she said, teachers need to love God and his word and have a knowledge of the word. They need to care about the students. They need to be working at living the word. If they are so busy during the week that they don't have time for the things of God, uh, the things of God that he has commanded them to do, like providing a living or teaching their family or training their children so that the, or are so stressed that they can't be respectful to their family or others, then they need to do first things first, what God has commanded. If their priorities are not in order, they should not be a Bible class teacher. I would agree with her about that. And we have a comment in the chat room. I will not try to pronounce the the usernames in the chat room because they are not uh, well. They, they're not real words. Well, they're not. And I'm sure <laughs> they're, they're cryptic. They mean something to somebody yeah. that I can't decipher them. Um, it says teachers are not only judged on what they do, as we all are. They're also judged on what they teach. Right. And so that's that stricter judgment. I think that you're alluding to there in James chapter three verse one. Exactly right. Well, Jacob, we're just about out of time, but now can I give that special announcement? Let's give the special announcement. See, I remembered that I was you're, supposed to do all that. All right. Uh, Monday night, next Monday night, starts our Vacation Bible School here mm-hmm. at, at College U, which is, by the way, a, a Bible class arrangement. We're going to have – it's going to be at 7 o'clock each evening, Monday through Friday. We will break up into classes age-appropriate, uh, and so there uh, special special studies prepared at age level – all of the classes are going to be studying the same theme. We're going to be studying about events in the life of Jesus, the, the thread that ties them all together, events that happened on different mountains. Uh, and so we're going to talk about the, the Mount of Transfiguration. First of all, Monday night, the Sermon on the Mount. Tuesday night, Mount of Transfiguration. Wednesday night, Mount of Olives, when Jesus was arrested and, and taken for trial before he was crucified. Thursday night, the crucifixion on Mount Calvary. Friday night, back to the Mount of Olives again, but this time talking about the ascension of Jesus to heaven and all the implications of that. So the, there are five nights all about things that happened in the life of Jesus. The thread time together is mountains. Uh, and we've got classes for uh, all ages. From the teenagers on up, Steve Walker, who preaches in Sewanee, Kentucky, will be here, and he's going to be teaching the teens and adults on the same themes. And so I think it will be a good week of Bible study. Sounds very interesting. I want to make a clarification, though. If you're looking for fun and games, you won't find it. We're not, we're, kids are not going to be doing crafts and funs and games. We're going to, it's serious Bible study. And so if you're interested in that, we encourage you to come be with the College of Church of Christ. Now, that starts next Monday, the 15th. June 15th, and it runs through Friday, June 19th. What time? 7 o'clock. Thursday night next week, a week from tonight, Lord willing, what we'll do is what we typically do when we have a meeting here at College View just as soon as the thing is over at 8 o'clock, we'll be rushing in here and we'll be inviting a live studio audience to participate next week in the virtual Bible study. 
And we want, of course, if you're not, if you're in the Middle Tennessee area, and if you're within driving distance of Columbia, come by all means, come. If you're not able to drive and join us, certainly join us for the virtual Bible study. We'll get Steve Walker to join us here, uh, and we'll we'll uh, we'll maybe we'll play stump the preacher. He listens to the program yeah. and participates, but now he's going to have to do it in the hot seat next exactly, week. Exactly right. All right. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Good nice. discussion. Thanks, Jacob. And thank you all for being out there and listening to the virtual Bible study. We hope you benefited from our Bible study on the internet with you tonight we hope you'll make plans to be back next week attend the the vacation bible school at college view if you can or we would encourage you to be back here next week if you're not able to attend be here on the internet for another edition of the virtual bible study in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life study his inspired word the bible and live by it every day you'll never regret it Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.